Side Hustle Showdown, Sweaty Startups versus the Laptop Lifestyle. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Now a proud member of the Entrepreneur Podcast Network because you're the CEO of your own life. I got an exciting one for you today. The Side Hustle Showdown series returns with another friendly debate style episode pitting two popular side hustles against each other so you can decide the best path for you. On the table today is local services, so-called sweaty startups versus online businesses and the allure of that laptop lifestyle. Both are viable options to make extra money and build long-term wealth. To help out with this debate, I've invited back a side hustle show favorite and a newcomer to the show, but someone who's no stranger to entrepreneurship and who's soon to be a listener favorite by the end of this call. Representing the online business side is a full-time online entrepreneur since 2010, driving millions of dollars in revenue and teaching it all for free on YouTube from milesbeckler.com. Miles, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Excited to share some ideas with your audience. You bet. And representing the local business side, he founded and sold Storage Squad and has since transitioned into real estate and a portfolio of other businesses in a big way. It's Mr. At Sweaty Startup himself from NickHuber.com. Nick Huber, welcome back to the Side Hustle Show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You bet. So some uh, ground rules, maybe not ground rules, more of just structure before we get into it. In this debate, we're going to talk through the idea generation phase, kind of that niche selection phase. And we're going to talk about that initial traction phase, that money milestone. How am I going to go get my first customers, my first sales? And then finally, the growth and scale phase. How am I going to build? Am I building myself a job or am I building myself an asset? And so maybe we'll start there. I don't know. You guys want to start with opening arguments? I don't know if you prepared anything for that, but maybe we'll tee it up for miles in favor of the laptop lifestyle. We live in an amazing time. The ability for us to go publish content without gatekeepers is relatively new. Kudos to everybody here who's participating in that. And I do believe that this is kind of one of the most unique and astounding wealth generation periods of our world. It's really kind of reflective of when the Gutenberg press came out in like the 1400s. Like this is revolutionary. We all take it for granted at this point in time. But the way I see the world is that there are billions of people. I think there's 5 billion people staring at these things almost all day long. And when they're not staring at these things, they're on their laptop looking for stuff. And when they're not on that screen, they're probably on another screen. And all the data says that screen time is going up. So what are they doing? They're consuming content. And in theory, they're consuming content that they believe is going to help them make their lives better. And sometimes that's how do I invest my money into storage units to generate passive income on cash flow? It can be a wide variety of things. It's how to get a date. It's how to get laid. It's how to get fit. It's how to lose weight. It's how to gain weight. I mean, it's billions and billions. In fact, there's actually trillions of searches on Google each and every year. There's 2 billion monthly logged in users on YouTube each and every month. And there's about 3 billion monthly logged in people on Facebook. So that's the opportunity, right? They're looking for ways to improve their life and we can just like choose ourselves and be like, you know what, I'm gonna go all in and help a group of people and I'm gonna be the most helpful person in their world. And when that clicks, the cash flow is just amazing because of the scale that comes behind it. I love it. Lots of content consumers out there. There's an opportunity to become a creator of the content. Answer those seven billion queries. Answer the questions that are being asked. Position yourself as an authority. Years ago, a friend of mine gave me what he called the rule of the internet, that people are only ever online for one of two reasons, either to solve a problem or to be entertained. And hey, if you can 
do either of those things. You got a business opportunity there. Nick, what about you? My whole shtick is just, hey, close your computer, look around you at your town, and look at these businesses that are interacting right now. They're interacting with customers, they're selling, they're making money, these industries that already exist. And I think once you look a little bit closer, you realize that these business owners, the ones who are running those companies, they're not all up to date on the technology that's available and the ways that you can run your companies. And if you're really good at this stuff, like Miles said, you can run circles around these people and you can make really good money. I'm all about finding the path of least resistance and competing against the easiest competition there is. And I think local service businesses, some of them really make a lot of really good money and they aren't that great at what they do. You see a lot of the entrenched competition operating. If they have a website at all, it looks like it's from 1998 and you'll see stuff like fax us for a quote. It's like, oh, you're going to have to be a little bit easier to do business with in this day and age. One of my favorite methodologies is just noticing kind of the commercial service trucks as I'm driving around town. I saw one the other day that was mobile bike repair. I was like, oh, dang, that's pretty creative. And you see the mobile pet groomers and you see the gutter cleaners and kind of the standard ones. But every now and again, you're like, dang, my bike is due for a tune-up. Maybe I should call these guys up. Nice wrapped uh, spinner van on that front. But maybe we transition into that idea generation phase. And Nick, I'll let you go first with either using Storage Squad as an example. Just like if you are idea agnostic at this point, how do you evaluate what opportunities are out there or what you could possibly do to get something off the ground, new side hustle off the ground? I think the interesting thing about this is the long tail of opportunities. The opportunities are endless. I met a guy, I had a call with him, I met him through Twitter. He runs a company in Kentucky that drives around picking up horse carcasses. Somebody's horse dies, it's an equine, like Grim Reaper, and they drive around and pick up horses And he's got three crews, four trucks. There's about seven employees at his entire company. He nets over a million dollars a year driving around Kentucky doing this. Interestingly, the closer you get to the cities, the more in demand his service is because there's nowhere to bury the horses. The opportunities are just phenomenal. I like to impart just an awareness of business, okay? Most people are walking and going through their day and they're just lollygagging around. They're thinking about themselves. They're looking at their phone, swiping through TikTok videos. But in inquiring mind, an, an entrepreneur can everywhere they walk, everywhere they shop, everywhere they go to spend money, they can just think about, just start thinking about things through the lens of, hey, how does this company make money? You sit down in a restaurant, run some quick calculations on revenue per table for the night, how much are those folks in the back office making or in the kitchen? And you can just start to think about how are these folks making money? An example on the other end of the spectrum is I had a tree that was leaning over towards my house. Four guys showed up. They were here for 25 minutes. I wrote them a check for over $1,000. It's not hard when you're thinking about opportunities through that lens. Hey, how profitable is this? I'm running a a miniature profit and loss statement in my mind to kind of figure out where the good businesses are and where the more competitive businesses might be. Yes, this underrated skill of just looking around, paying attention to what's going on. We're doing the same calculation. There's a guy who has a like bicycle ice cream truck in our neighborhood. So he comes around. I don't know if you guys used to have, we used to have like Joe's was the guy, you know, you play the entertainer and come around real slow and he'd give you time to run in the house, get your money. This guy's doing it just with like essentially a glamorized cooler on the back of a bike. And we're like, dang, how much does this guy do it on a, on a hot summer day? Miles, my hypothesis is with the online side of things, there's maybe a stigma or stereotype where it's almost like the matrix. I got to find this low competition niche and I got to read all this keyword data. I got to figure all this stuff out. 
So how do you approach it for when a new entrepreneur comes and asks for help in getting started online? Yeah, generally speaking, I'm recommending people go inside, right? Go into your heart. So your example of the mobile bike repair person, I'm assuming they love bike riding. I'm assuming they've got like that van set up in a way that they can go take bike trips. So their tax deductible van, their tax deductible lifestyle that allows them to do what they love and whether they want to start adding on mountain bike coaching and other types of services from there. It's a beautiful business model that can allow someone who is so passionate about mountain bikes and they love mountain bikes and they are just consumed by mountain bikes. They can build a really amazing lifestyle around that. And then do you want to scale it and run crews and have multiple vans or not? These are all wonderful questions that each individual entrepreneur gets to answer for themselves. I'm usually looking for people to go inside. What is the biggest thing that you've accomplished in the last three to five? years what have you been doing with your time and even if that's like miles i ain't been doing nothing but playing Fortnite. great like we can actually start there because that means you probably know enough about the game of Fortnite to help someone like me who might want to hop on and kind of get up to speed quickly to be able to play with my nieces and nephews i'm willing to spend 100 200 bucks to get up to speed so i'm not just like getting owned every time i get into the arena i mean there's just a billion long tail ideas that all represent that now there is a risk that some people get to of like well if i love the hobby and then it becomes a business it's no longer something i love anymore i don't have the best answer for how and where and where that line is that's a very individual thing but if you don't know what to start creating on just start creating right if you're all about mountain bikes start creating mountain bikes but when you look back through your past three to five years what are people asking you for help with what are you already helping people with and if you've been doing bike tune-ups for a long time and you're always willing to go over to your friend's house for a couple of beers to do some bike tune-ups maybe starting a mobile bike tune-up business is something that would fit into your lifestyle and then for the people who are like, yeah, but I got nothing three the last three to five years, I've literally been doing nothing but petting my cat. Then where do you want your life to go in the next three to five years? Okay. Are you overweight? Is it time for you to lose weight? Great. And this is where we start to get down that kind of Gary Vaynerchuk idea. That's maybe a little overdone of documenting the process. But some people, so in my circumstance, in my position right now, right, I built a high cash flow business. We do hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue each and every month. So where is my money going? How do I get my money to grow for me? Or how do I protect my wealth? These are the kinds of challenges that I'm personally facing at this point in time that could open me up to another brand or potentially build upon my brand, et cetera, et cetera. So where have you been and where are you going? Because it's really easiest to create content based on what you know or what you're going to be all about for the next three to five years. And that's really kind of the starting point. Yeah. If I'm to go down like or the Fortnite example, or you've been playing a lot of golf the last five years, you know, whatever it may be, are you paying any attention at this point? So I'm going to start creating, I'll build a golf website. Like you paying any attention to who's already out there, like what level of competition you might be up against, or even thinking down the road of, well, how am I ever going to monetize this? Are you paying any attention to that? Just like, hey, I'm going to start this act of creation. I would say the first question that people have to answer for themselves is, are you a writer or are you a performer? All three of us here were performers in a way, right? So the question to me is blog versus like audio slash video content, because you need to learn how to publish and create content. So there's the tactical learning curves and the tactical like, okay, I need a cell phone holder. I need a little tripod. I need to hook these things together. You can literally just start a TikTok channel and start sharing little bits and pieces of your golfing, of your golf days, of your friends being goofy. And like the algorithm will start to give you a lot of feedback. People will start to ask you questions in the comments. And yet again, through just taking the leap of faith and taking action, the feedback loop opens up and it's like, 
so many people are trying to watch videos and try to understand through guru courses, like how do I steer my parked car? And I'm like, yo, get out of the car and start pushing your car. And then when you have momentum, you can now start to course correct and adapt and pivot and steer your car. So I do think that it's just jump in and go. Keyword research is obviously helpful. Being in one of the big three niches, which is love, romance, relationships, money, and well-being, there obviously is some benefit there. But we each could rattle off, which we've been doing, dozens of examples of boring businesses that most people forget about that are crushing it. They've got wonderful standard operating procedures and they've built an amazing cash flow and amazing lifestyle. Personally, I just I want to do that. Like if I could, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be I would much rather be wealthy, high cash flow, unknown, work at a boring business that takes me two hours a day, which is kind of what I've been building. That's probably a good transition back to Nick at this point. So first off, I met someone at a recent podcasters meetup in Seattle and her advice, which I thought was really good, was pay attention to what you pay attention to in terms of idea generation, niche selection. Like, what are you into? What do you care about? But I'll throw this back to Nick because I remember from our original episode, probably 2019-ish, you said, under no circumstance are you allowed to start a business around your passion. People are passionate about things, which means they do irrational things like work for free. I don't want to be in a market where people are working for free. So I'll tee that back up to you. Yeah, I think it's kind of this world we pick who we want to compete with. You're choosing your competition. And and I see like there's some competitive areas because it's fun. A business that's fun is going to have more people drawn towards it and the cream will rise to the top. And of a thousand people who may want to become an influencer, maybe only a hundred of them will get the momentum and kind of get that leap of faith forward. But if I look at industries where the person who's doing this business and making a lot of money they're not that smart, like frankly. Like, look at real estate. Real estate is the highest concentration of wealthy, dumb people. Like, I'm one of them. Like, that's just the truth. As far as like, if I'm going to become a influencer and I'm going to get that following, there's also something that's really important about that is that people want to follow people who are successful and kind of already have done something. So, like, the quickest way to get that following sometimes is to do something unsexy, make the money. And then once you've made the money, you can kind of grow. And I also think like looking at the market unemotionally and realizing that as an entrepreneur, it's not necessarily about me. Like it's not about me. It's not about what I want. So when you talk to some entrepreneurs and they're like, well, I love this and I want that. And I, 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 and you kind of realize that, oh, this business is kind of all about you. It's not at all about what the market wants, what somebody's willing to pay you for. So if you can kind of separate yourself from the business that you're going after, you can look at the market unemotionally and say, hey, who can I compete with? What gives me the best odds of success? And then once you kind of work through that process, you realize that every business, if you start to do it well and you start to do it at scale, every business is the same. It's hiring, managing, firing, solving problems. Running a company is running a company and no matter what industry. So you might as well pick something that gives you the best opportunity to earn versus what do I love doing? Because yes, you can run a three or four person business and earn money by doing the actual work. But if you want to scale, if you want to take your business to the next level, you're not going to be doing that work anymore, no matter what field you pick. I think that's a great distinction there too, because some people literally just want to make 1500 bucks a month more, 3500 bucks a month more. They just want that little extra nug and they kind of want to trade some of their free time that they have that they're scrolling. And they're like, man, I know there's a way for me to change my relationship with my devices in a way and get it working for me. But the ultimate 
truth in entrepreneurship from my perspective is a Zig Ziglar quote, the you can have anything you want in this world if you help enough other people get what they want. So getting good at helping other people get what they want is the key, whether that's a clean yard with no dog do in it and you're willing to go do that or whether that's entertaining videos on TikTok, it's irrelevant. And I think my niche particularly, and Nick, you're in this, we're all in this niche a little bit, right? The make money online slash internet marketing niche. A lot of people look at it and they're like, Ooh, I want to be that guy. And it's like, no, you don't like the competition is a bunch of assassins. The money is not actually as good as people think it is in this niche. I mean, my wife and I have a brand that's in the spirituality and meditation space that we've been running since 09. The absolute bulk majority of my income comes from there, partly because I teach everything for free, but I had to do something to stand out, right? I had to be different. And I'm looking looking at all these assassins with their killer sales pages and their amazing funnels with their $30,000 programs on the back, back, back end of everything. I'm like, how can I ever compete against these people and still bring my truth out to the world, right? Bring my divine spirit out to the world through content. And this is what I came up with. And a lot of people kind of idolize, I think all three of us in a kind of a strange way. And like, we're all here, like, yo, like worm farming, like growing a worm bin and like making worm compost may actually be one of those niches that has a grand total of zero good marketers in it. And you could literally within like three months be the best marketer in that entire niche. And I think that's one of the ideas of like, if you go play in that sandbox, your ability to go actually get traction and some of those traction of getting traffic, getting your email subscribers, getting customers, it's so motivating versus like trying to climb that uphill battle and sliding down because you're going up against a bunch of assassins. Yeah, it's funny. We've had a couple examples of that recently. We had a guy who side hustle was renting out mobility scooters to tourists or travelers visiting LA. And he had that site up, I think for years before he actually plunked down the money and bought his first mobility scooter. He's like, I wanted to see a critical mass of inquiries coming into the site before I really invest. So he's like, let it age, let it rank in SEO. And okay, now I'm going to pull the trigger and actually go out and do this. And same thing, we had a guy to use the pooper scooper example, did that in Denver or a suburb of Denver. And his original intention was I'm going to rent this out to a local service provider. But then he started getting leads. It was like, I didn't have anybody to farm it out to yet. So I was like, I guess I'll go do it. And when we spoke, he'd done hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of this pooper scooper business. And he's doing really well with that. And I think the key takeaway, especially in the online world, is if you don't have, maybe passion is an overrated word, but if you don't have that curiosity, that drive to really own that niche, somebody else does and somebody else will, and you're just not going to compete. Like, I love travel hacking and points and miles and optimizing all that stuff, but I don't love it to the same degree that dozens and dozens of other travel bloggers do, right? So I'm never going to be able to compete with them. And the only reason I've been able to do this business for 10 years is because like, I love it. It's just like if somebody else maybe has two or three articles related to side hustles on their site, like they're not going to compete with me. It's like, hey, been in this game for a long time. I want to transition to the idea of the money milestone, because I think there's a really important motivating first step. Once I see that initial traction, I'm so much more motivated. It's like making your first dollar online. And for me, it was like my first shoe sale commission, like for my original side hustle, you know, come back to the hotel after working my day job, traveling on the road, hit refresh on the report. And it's like, oh, somebody bought a thing. Yeah, like I made my first deal, you know, $4 and 65 cents or something. Like, oh, if you can do it once, you can do it over it and over works. again. It works. It works. Yes. And we have hundreds of stories. Like, I made my first 11 cents from an ad click or something. You know, it's like, okay, proof is in the pudding. And for my original 
business, if you could call it that, it was pretty straightforward. Knocking on doors, trying to sell paint jobs. Like I can talk to my customer one-on-one. It's pretty simple. But for the online side, it's like just tossing stuff out into the ether and hoping somebody finds it. I don't know, Nick, I feel like the sweaty startup side or the local service side, probably a little bit easier to connect with customers. I don't know. How did you go about finding your first paying jobs? I mean, yeah, it's look around what you have in your house. What do you have the ability to buy in a low risk way? And how can you get out and make a little bit of money? I mean, I had a car that could fit some boxes in it. And I had an empty room for the summer that I filled with boxes. I made zero investment and I got done with two weeks worth of work and I had a couple grand laying on my bed. And yeah, it's that feeling that it's like, wow, okay, I just tested this. Now I can get after it and I can go. When you're walking around the world with this inquisitive mind or you're working for a company that offers X services and you're meeting clients that already are kind of in that space and you can maybe pick off a couple to do on the side, you can just find a situation that you're in where people need something and you're going to go out and make a little bit of money doing some work. That's step one. Before you get into the delegation, before you get into the scale, it's, hey, I'm going to trade my time for money and that's going to evolve into entrepreneurship. I don't need to worry about scale. I don't need to worry about a moat. I'm going to go out and trade my time for money. And once that happens and it starts to happen repeatedly and you start to get too busy to keep doing the work, that's when you focus on the delegation and the growth and the scale and taking it to the next level. Uh, Nathan Barry has his ladders of wealth creation and it starts with a job and then it starts with this freelance or service-based business. Like you got to stack up these different skills to really scale beyond that. And you can skip some steps, but you can't really skip learning the skills is his argument. I have a unique theory in that To really start a mega successful company, a big company that can scale, you need three things. You need, first of all, and the most important, you need operational skills. You need to be able to sell. You need to be able to delegate. You need to be able to run a company. Number two is you need some capital. And number three is you need a network, either a network of employees or a network of investors or a network of partners or customers. Without those three things, you cannot grow a successful company. A, you don't know what you're doing. B, you don't have the money to do it. And C, you don't have the people around you to put that team together. The first company, in my opinion, company number one, it needs to be about acquiring those three things and less about acquiring money. Does that make sense? Do your first company to learn operations, to learn sales, delegation, some of these things that are just totally unique to a normal life that most people don't get exposure to. Learn those things as step one. Then the capital comes, you start to put some money in your bank account. Then you start to meet people, potential investors, potential employees. And then the snowball can start rolling down the hill. But way too many people try to start a really hard business first without the capital, without the operational experience, and without the people. As a Side Hustle Show listener, I know you're looking for ways to improve your life through entrepreneurship. But earning more is just one part of the equation. That's why I want to recommend you check out the Personal Finance Podcast. It's hosted by my buddy Andrew Dincola, and he specializes in sharing the tips, tactics, and hacks to upgrade your money, all while spending less and saving more. For example, I just want to give you a few of the episodes I've been listening to recently. The first is called 13 Financial Moves to Reduce Stress and Anxiety. I think we all feel a certain amount of stress about money. Either there's not enough or there's not going to be enough or we're missing out on the next big thing. Andrew goes through this checklist of actionable ways that you can sleep better at night, which I loved. Second one was 10 ways to increase investment returns and how those small wins can really compound over time. After we get paid from our side hustles, we want to make sure we're putting that cash to good use. 
And then finally, super interesting episode called Why You Should Negotiate Every Bill. Not something I've really considered before, but apparently I've been leaving money on the table for years. Again, check out the Personal Finance Podcast, entertaining and informative advice from someone who absolutely loves the topic. Search for the Personal Finance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. Miles, any shortcuts you've seen for people who are starting that TikTok channel about shortcuts create <laughs> long Fortnite. delays, my man. So yes, there is actually. And the shortcut is to start right now, publish your first thing today, and then stick with it for three to five years and publish somewhere to the tune of 500 to 1,000 pieces of content. And I'm talking long form content, not Twitter posts here in the next three to five years. And the shortcut is doing the work for three to five years straight because you're going to have to learn all like operations, all the stuff he just talked about, I just say there's a jar full of learning curves that you're going to have to go through. And you don't learn how to get through these learning curves from watching YouTube videos or from buying into guru courses or from buying into guru coaching. You learn how to get through these learning curves by doing the things, right? There's all kinds of stuff. And I would push back a little bit on the concept of unique capital get started. I mean, do you constitute like these two pieces that cost less than $20 capital? Because if you look at the empire that Mr. Beast has built, it really came from him just cutting videos. And there is a creator path today that you can start. So YouTube, Everyone watching this and listening to this has a cell phone that is capable of making a video that could go up on YouTube. You can do long form horizontal content on YouTube. You can do verticals on TikTok, Instagram reels, and YouTube shorts for under $100. And this is how my wife and I started our blog. I actually had to borrow the money from my dad because my last entrepreneurial endeavors went belly up. I went belly up with at least four or five entrepreneurial endeavors before one clicked. I was learning how to be an entrepreneur the hard way by falling on my face repeatedly. And then things I learned from step one, things I learned from part two, things I learned from step three, it all coalesced with my wife's passion for spirituality and the timing and where I was in my life. Borrowed $95.40 from my dad for a year of hosting, $7.95 times 12. We got a domain name too. And we just started publishing. I use free keyword research tools and I woke up at 4 a.m. We published for three hours before work. I worked a full day with an hour commute each way in the Bay. I worked all evening and we did that nonstop for about 18 months. Just literally, we went all in. We published 500 blog posts in the first couple of years. We've, we're at like 1,800 posts at this point, but we haven't really been publishing for the last several years. There is the potential to bootstrap an audience. And once you have an audience, 
I mean, YouTube will partner with you on the ad revenue. I don't think that's the best approach to making money per se, but it's possible. You could throw Google ads on your website. It's not the best approach to making money, but you can do it and it will generate cash flow if you have nothing. I love the observation and also be observant of how you feel while you're doing the things. So if you're the golf guy and you're out golfing, you're like, all right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do like three TikToks a day and I'm gonna start TikToking golf. And like at the end of day three, you've done nine of them. And you're like, I hate myself. I don't like the way I feel on camera. Like I despise being a TikToker. Perfect. That is wonderful feedback. So now what's your pivot? Don't stop, right? Like, what do you try next? What do you try next? And for some people, it might be grabbing the bucket and the sponge and seeing if you can clean the neighbor's windows. It might be flipping stuff on eBay. It might be trying different things to find where there's a market that has a need that you can kind of sort of fill and you don't feel like a total schmuck doing it. Okay. And again, you can't steer a parked car, but like, how bad do you want it? And I know each and every one of us on this call, we've all done things that we had to do. We had to get through. It sucked in the moment. Embrace the suck because the success that you desire is on the other side of a lot of little failures and people are trying to avoid fail. I just want to know the thing that'll work. Like miles, is there a business you can guarantee will work for me? It's like, yeah, it's called like failing repeatedly for about five years and something will absolutely click for you, which is a little disheartening for people, but I would rather be honest versus hyping you up about passive income as if somehow being a creator is easy. It's not, but it's a whole lot better. I was a customer support rep. I was getting yelled at on the phone for $20 an hour, commuting an hour each way to like, that is real 40 years of that. Ooh, that's where I found that motivation to just like willing to be a fool, willing to show up on YouTube, willing to make my YouTube videos like, you know, dirt face on my YouTube videos. Cause I get 2% higher click-through rate on them than the other ones because like, how bad do you want it? There's something to that. Be willing to commit to it for the long haul and agree with you that you don't need a ton of startup capital to build an online content business. The question is, you're six months into it, you're 12 months into it, you're just not seeing the results. You're not seeing the traction. Nobody's watching this stuff. Nobody's reading this stuff. Do you commit to that for another four years, like hoping and praying that there's something at the end of that tunnel? At what point do you have to throw in the towel and pivot? I want to base where you're at at that six month mark by how much have you done? How many tries have you taken? How many at bats have you taken? How many pieces of long form keyword targeted content have you published, right? A lot of people are like, oh, I'm not seeing results. And you look back and they've done like 12 things over six months. Like, dog, what are you doing, right? So there has to be a frequency and this fervish kind of pitch to it. So if somebody hasn't published 150 or 100, Roberto Blake has his 100 rubbish videos idea. I have a 90 day content marketing challenge that I talk about, which is do one piece of content for 90 days. So if you don't have the volume of your sample size is not large enough, you aren't going to have statistically significant data that will allow you to make a good business decision off of said data. Now, if you try this and you pivot and you try that, and you pivot and you try that and you pivot every time you pivot, you start back at zero. And this is what a lot of people are doing. They're like, oh, drop shipping sounds great. Oh, that sounds great. And they're just jumping over here, over there. And they never get the power of compounding working for them. And obviously, Nick, as you know, like the power of compound is real. You start stacking up cash flow real estate and it's like, wow, I love cash flow real estate. I've been a flipper and I've just did another deal recently that's got some great cash flow to it. So the power of compounding is real, but the power of compounding also works in content, 
right? Google, YouTube, TikTok, they don't really trust you on your first uploads because there's so many spammers trying to put up AI rubbish and they're just trying to like clog up the search. So you have to like break through the algorithm. You got to break through your stuff and it generally takes hundreds of pieces of content before you really know if you're on the right path or not. So for me, it's like, how fast can you do 200? Can you do it in six months? Like, why not? What else are you doing with your time? It doesn't take that long. For a lot of people, it's just addiction to consuming content, feeling like that's working in some weird way. People ask me all the time, they say, Nick, how did you get 300,000 followers on Twitter? I want to be, and I'm speaking specifically to the business management, money-making type of content influencer. That's what I'm in. The best way to get a big following if you want to be known for building businesses or making money is to stop tweeting and like actually go out and make some money. Like nobody wants to follow somebody in the business money-making space if they haven't actually made money. So like step one, put Twitter away, go build a business, get rich, get rich first. Then people will follow you. Talk about what you're doing. I mean, yeah, and you can build along the way and and there's rare examples of folks getting pretty big on Twitter by telling stories of other entrepreneurs. That's a way to do it as well. But the surefire way is people want to follow special people. That's why all the most followed people on Instagram are professional athletes. They're world-class actors, singers. They want to follow elite people. The best way to get a following is to be elite. That's the hard part that nobody wants to do. That's leadership, right? Like a leader is not someone swinging in a hammock, passive income, telling other people what to do. No, a leader is there with the spoon in front of the pile of manure, shoveling the manure day after day after day after day. I remember when vlogging was really big a few years ago, and like it's fun to see how TikTok and Reels kind of killed vlogging in a sense. Everybody wanted to be a vlogger, right? Everyone wanted to be a Casey Neistat. And it's like, well, then go live an interesting life. Sell everything you own and go be a nomad for five years, which is something my wife and I did. We donated and just got rid of everything. We lived completely nomadic for five years straight. Like That's really freaking interesting. It's extremely difficult. It's risky. We hit points where we were like, how the did we get like, what are we doing with our like, you got to get to those points to become the kind of person who deserves an audience, right? And most people are boring. They aren't doing anything. They're watching a bunch of people. They think that would be fun. Then they watch some guru webinar that says, oh, yeah, and it's easy because you can do faceless videos and blah, blah, blah. And they just end up spending a couple of grand. And eventually it's all they're all liars. And they go back to their day job. And it's kind of like, go make lightning strike. What is lightning striking? That's making a sale of some sort, flipping something on eBay, doing something that gets someone to send you money, someone you've never met before, just getting someone to give you money for a thing, a service, something. Once you get lightning to strike once, can you get lightning to strike a couple times a day? And then if you're getting it done a couple of days, man, how big of a pump can you build on that thing? And then how can you merchandise on it? And it is a process. And that's where the online side of things, at least from my perspective, seem a little bit easier to scale because it's like, well, it takes the same effort to produce an episode that... 10 people listen to or 10,000 people listen to. It takes the same effort to write the blog post that nobody sees or 100,000 people see. And so there's like this unique scale and leverage to it where with my painting business, for example, like, yeah, I could have crews running out. I could delegate to a foreman and like potentially, but it was much more challenging. It was much more people reliant versus tech reliant, if that makes sense. But while it might be easier to get going, you're probably also going to deal with a whole lot more competition that you never had in that house painting arena in that one little town there. And that's fair. It's a give and take, right? Like every coin has two sides. Yeah, geography can be a pretty serious moat. Hey, what is your moat? Hey, I picked a town where there's not very many good companies doing this. And look, it's an evolution. You're, you move from decent businesses that can produce cash flow that can teach you those three things to then better businesses that can 
be scaled and can be delegated more efficiently and can actually grow. I was in a moving and storage company. That business, anybody can start with very little capital and it's very tough to scale. Painting could be similar, but then you move up to a little bit higher skilled businesses with higher barriers to entry and all of a sudden you're in a situation where you can charge a couple hundred dollars per hour per worker and you can afford to put in the management. You can afford to build a corporate structure and actually grow a company that can thrive and survive and grow without you. It was that geography can be a moat sparked this memory of mine. So a former coworker of my boss's, he walked out of the grocery store and saw like those used car magazines, little like used car ads. It wasn't like thrifty nickel, but it was something similar. And he just went down the list of the top 20, top 25 cities by population, calling up, hey, does your town have this? Hey, does your town have this? Yes, yes, yes. Gets down to number 22, like Louisville or someplace. Oh, no, we don't have that here. Moves to Louisville, starts it up. And like, that's his thing. It's like, I thought that was really interesting. Geo, not geo arbitrage, but I mean, we've seen people like, oh, I'm going to rip off this guy's idea and just pivot it to a different location. And it happens all the time. So something that just sparked that dog do business, right? So it was in Denver. I was at a conference in Denver two weeks ago. And I think that may have been where I saw the street spam sign was cutting across Denver for this conference. Someone who had ambition could be like, okay, that's working in that metro. Let me call, I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or I'm in Laramie or whatever, like all these other towns. Like, And you just find like, wow, on Google, there's literally zero websites ranking for this. Then you have to answer the question for yourself. Are you willing to go grab that spoon and sit in front of the pile of proverbial manure or not? But to enhance what Nick said, I love that you're both named Nick. I can't get it wrong. Entrepreneurship is a skill. And that's the whole like grab eBay and start selling. You're like, oh, Miles, I'm just selling stuff. Yeah, but if you take it seriously and if you start to specialize and if you know about old Nintendo games and you start to go shopping and you literally can build and there are people who have very successful businesses flipping things on eBay. So you're you're starting to learn the first few things. Maybe you're using chat GPT to help you write good descriptions and you're starting to learn sales like in fitness. There's all of those supporting muscles like, yeah, you want to build like these and these, but there's all kinds of like supporting muscles that you build along the way. And sometimes you just got to like get into motion building those, whether it's a fully digital business, a physical business, man, selling real things is a lot easier than selling ideas. I will say that like from a sales copy perspective and the amount of effort required to sell selling services, people don't want to do stuff. Like, do I really want to go out and wash all of my windows? Like, kind of, not really. I'm in the middle of nowhere, so I don't have an option for that personally. But like, if you go do things people aren't willing to do, it's really easy for them to say yes. Yeah, something unique about me is that everything I do is a service business. I don't sell any physical products. And even my real estate business, it's we're buying buildings and we're managing them, but it is a service provided to investors. We're raising money and we're deploying their capital reasonably and we're managing our self-storage properties. So I'm a huge fan of trading physical work for cash. And it's creating the cash flow on a month to month basis for me. I'm pouring that cash flow back into real estate. I'm kind of using my own service, like me, Nick Huber, putting cash into my own real estate private equity company to then manage and buy real estate. But yeah, I just think services are, like you said, hard to do. And if you do it well, and you have distribution, you can make a lot of money pretty quick. Hard to do. And maybe to get back to this idea of growth and scale, like more challenging, you got with the example of the old storage business, I got trucks on the ground in a bunch of different cities. I got people working on there. It seems all logistics. of a sudden it becomes, yeah, logistics. It's a lot to manage. The truth is that delegation is very, very hard. And every service business, if you have people who need to do things in exchange for money, you are running teams of people. You're managing people. Every single one of my companies, it's nothing but a group of people working on these things. And delegation is not taught in school and it is not taught in sports. Not once is your high school's athletic 
coach going to tell you, can you find somebody else to do this workout for you to get you in shape? Or is your math teacher going to say, hey, can you find somebody else to do this exam for you in an efficient manner? Zero delegation is taught to anybody in life, but it is a superpower. So what you have is 95% of these service businesses, these small service businesses with less than 10 employees, you have an owner that is a poor delegator and every single decision in the business comes through the owner. Meaning there's two levels of delegation. You delegate tasks, you tell people what to do. That's easy mode. And then there's the delegating decisions. And when you can delegate decisions to people on your team, that's when your businesses can really scale. That's when every problem doesn't come to you as the owner. And that's when you can go on vacation for a month and your business can actually grow and thrive and produce cash without you there. But it's not easy stuff. And like you said, you use the muscle example. Delegation is a muscle. Delegation takes practice. It's very uncomfortable. And everybody reads books on delegation and hiring and management. No. If you want to build muscle, you're not going to just watch Arnold Schwarzenegger documentaries and write a big workout plan and watch a bunch of YouTube videos and expect muscle to grow. You're going to go to the gym and pick up the damn weight. Same exact thing with delegation. Until you get somebody who says, hey, Nick, what do you want me to do today? And then I expect a paycheck at the end of the day. That's very uncomfortable stuff that you have to do and practice to get better at. But man, when you get it right and you have other people working and you're paying them X and you're making Y and Y is a lot bigger than X, that's when another unlock happens. Like that first unlock happens when you make that first dollar in your business. Wow, I can trade my time for money. The second bigger unlock that allows people to really grow companies and build generational wealth is when they have other people working, other people making decisions, and they are making money when that happens. That's when entrepreneurship clicks and business management clicks. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. 
So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, I like this framework, the task delegation versus decision delegation. And a lot of people will start, I think, naturally with this task delegation. I need a virtual assistant. I need somebody to go do this window washing job that I just booked. Okay, task delegation. Here's the process to follow. Here's the recipe. You can't screw it up. Just follow this checklist. There's massive wealth that can be built by just delegating tasks. Like you don't even need to get to level two. There's many people that play golf at my country club that go to the nice restaurants and they're very wealthy and they have five, 10 person businesses where they are the decision bottleneck. They don't actually have anybody making those decisions. And when it comes to like, how do you do it? How do you actually get somebody on your team to get good at making these decisions. I have a story about a monkey on a back. Like an employee, when they have a decision to make, they have a problem, they walk into my office. Their problem is that monkey. That monkey jumps on my desk and all of a sudden it's my problem as soon as they tell me about it. Most business owners, they just collect monkeys and at the end of the day, all their employees are going home and they got a room full of monkeys and their whole business is chaos. They're firefighting, they're running around like crazy. The good business owners, that employee walks in and they're going to make sure it walks out with that monkey back on their back. So an employee calls me up, says, Nick, I got this big problem. We got the storage unit. It's locked. I don't know whose stuff is in it. We had it. We tried to rent it. I'm not going to just say step out of the way. I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to respond with questions. I'm going to respond with questions and I'm going to get them practicing making decisions. They're going to build the decision making muscle themselves and they're going to get better at it. And they're going to get out of my office with their monkeys. There's a lot of parallels to parenting on that one. <laughs> yeah. This has been awesome, guys. I'm taking a ton of notes. I think this has been a, a really fun back and forth. Are there any other factors that come to mind? If somebody is standing at the starting line and they're looking at this as two alternative paths, you know, which fork in the road do I want to take? Do I want to build an online business or do I want to start something local in my own town, service-based? Anything else that you could really sway somebody one way or the other? My parting advice would be if you get caught up in the media circus around entrepreneurship, and if you watch Shark Tank and you're following Product Hunt and you're looking at TechCrunch and you're following all the entrepreneurs on Twitter and Instagram that make millions and millions of dollars, it's really, really easy to try to skip steps, to try to jump ahead, to try to change the world, to try to start a big idea without the capital, the network, or the ability. And it's easy to fall on your face and fail. I would encourage people to ignore a lot of that noise. I'm, I'm sure Miles would agree with me here. Ignore a lot of that noise and just start. Just do something small. Set a really small approachable goal. I hate big goals. I hate the shoot for the stars and you'll land among the moon, whatever that quote is. It makes me mad. Like you need to actually start, like set a small goal. Set a really small goal. I want to put $1,000 extra in my bank account instead of scrolling TikTok. And if you do that and you just understand that this is a marshmallow game. This entire entrepreneurship thing, it takes five years to get some momentum. It takes 10 years to get generationally wealthy if you do it right. And if you're not willing to delay gratification and make decisions five, 10 years down the road, you're going to fail. So if you get ahead of yourself and if you start idolizing entrepreneurs that are way more successful than you, start taking shortcuts, don't build those skills. It's really easy to fail and end up going to get a job. Absolutely. That's some brilliant advice. I just want to echo the delayed gratification piece. So I've published recently video, I don't even know, 700, let's say 775, give or take. So a lot of people will publish video number four and they'll be like, oh man, my video sucked. Let me look at what Miles did. Like, God, Miles, your videos are so good. Yeah, don't compare your step number four with my step number 778, okay? That's just a recipe for you getting your ego mind engaged for a toxic internal conversation, which is gonna stop you from taking any action at all. 
I love the idea of small goals. Make your first dollar. Can you get lightning to strike? Can you get people to watch your videos? Can you get people to engage with your content? I mean, all three of us, I think we would agree it like how awesome is life when you're on the other side of that failing forward process of three to five years? It's amazing, right? The flywheel here is spectacular. Like you bounce over to me and we talk about in the trenches running companies, you bounce over to Miles and you're talking about putting together the most important aspect, which is distribution. And then you look at Miles' entrepreneurial endeavors and how they're amplified because of his distribution and how running the companies amplifies his content. And it all starts to work together and it just keeps your wealth snowball careening down the hill at some point. And invest in real estate. Once you get the cash flow going, a bunch of digital money coming in, like get some physical, tangible things. Don't be all in on digits and bits and bytes, like get you some tangible cash flow. Take some cash off the table. Makes sense. 100%. Pay yourself. A lot of overlap here, no matter which path you choose. You're going to have to put in your time. You're going to have to learn the skills of the game and you have to stick with it for a long time to start to see these results. But the alternative is punching that clock for 30, 40 years. So it's worth it, no matter which path you choose. Nick Huber, you can find him at sweatystartup.com. Join the newsletter over there. He is at sweatystartup on Twitter. Miles is at milesbeckler.com. You can join. You can be subscriber number 200,006 something over at his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash milesb. We'll chalk up those last little bits of advice as number one tips for side hustle nations. We'll include those in the show notes for you. And now you're listening to this, you're thinking, Okay, cool. I want to dive deeper on this stuff. You are in luck because we have a huge library of episodes on both of these topics in the Side Hustle Show archives. I mean, on the local service side, we've got case studies on window washing and pet waste removal and mobile car detailing and power washing and residential cleaning services and commercial cleaning services. Lots of great stuff there. And of course, on the other side, lots of super inspiring episodes about people building content-based businesses, driving traffic from Google, from podcasting, from social media, from YouTube, monetizing with ads, affiliate relationships, their own products, their own services, and enjoying that location independence and time leverage that comes with it along the way. If you're not sure where to start, the best thing you can do is go to hustle.show, answer a few short multiple choice questions. You can do it on your phone and you're going to get a custom curated playlist of the best side hustle show episodes to check out based on your answers. Again, that's at hustle.show for your own personalized playlist. Big thanks to Nick and Miles for sharing their insights today. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.